Today is August 11th. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the imposed U.S.-Canadian border are the Blackfeet. North of the border are the Siksika, Ganai, and Bagani of the Confederacy. These lands are now on Treaty 7, signed in 1877, with signatories that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Stony Nakoda, now Wesley Chiniki Bearspaw Nations, and the Sutina Nation. I acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit status, and non-status across Turtle as the keepers of these lands. Oki, Mikochis, Chase Aki. My name is Michelle Robinson, and my spirit name is Red Thunder Woman, given to me in ceremony. My humblest apologies to the Blackfoot elders and language keepers as I try to learn proper pronunciation. I honor the Blackfoot. I'm grateful to be on their lands. And anyway, I'm just going to keep talking here. Um, <laughs> I was born here in Calgary as Michelle Elliott, a very English name, which has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene, or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act imposed status card by the Canadian government says Yellow Knives Dene. My father is so Canadian that I'm a daughter of the Mayflower and the daughter of the American Revolution while having an Indian Act imposed status card. I acknowledge my Dene lineage and that I was born in Calgary, but my family is not part of the Treaty 7 signatories. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Hare People, also called the Great Bear Lake People, in Treaty 11. I am a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene nation is a visitor to this area of Clincho Tine Indahe in Satu Dene, meaning Many Horse Town, named after the Calgary Stampede. Land acknowledgements are a critical way to create a safer space for Indigenous as well as honoring the host as a, as a guest. Uh, by me acknowledging my Dene lineage, it gives an idea to other folks of who I am and where I come from, even though I was born here in Calgary. Any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous, but I'll share what I uh, learn and experience as I live in this English colonial world. If you're experiencing emotional distress after hearing anything we talk about today or want to talk, call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It's open toll-free and it, oh, sorry, it's toll-free and open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Non-Indigenous, there are distress lines in your area too. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Thank you to previous donors for already showing their support to our show. If you listen and can afford to give, thank you. To those who cannot afford to give but listen in, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com. Send in your comments or questions. We are also on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. So, with that, I feel like I have a million things to tell you, and as usual, I don't know if I'll ever have enough time to go through it all. Um, but one of the things I love about having this is that it, it's actually quite healing for me. So, um, you know, something that's been really bothering me this week that, um, you know, I wish... This is an example of where, you know, non-Indigenous Canadians think they're doing great Indigenous inclusion... And where Indigenous are going, wow, that's not Indigenous inclusion. So for those who may have seen, I actually um, went to the Royal uh, Alberta Museum with Miranda Jimmy. Miranda Jimmy was fabulous because, um, you know, like me, she knows a lot of the background and policy work that goes into a lot of the things that got done or didn't get done more so. And um, so we went on a tour together and she brought her friend Omar as well. And uh, it was wonderful hanging out with the both of them and hearing their points of view. Um, and my husband took a bunch of video of us chit-chatting. So that 18-minute video has been posted. And I'm hoping, you know, I tried to share it, but I, I don't know if there's like a algorithm that prevents folks that uh, see Patreon account sources to just not see that. So we tried putting it on YouTube. But that certainly didn't get us any views of there either. So I don't know what the right answers are, but we are definitely trying to keep it consistent so that if you are actually interested in going beyond just hearing me, but seeing how I, you know, seeing Miranda and I go through the Royal Alberta Museum, there is an 18-minute video that exists that I've been sharing on my Twitter and uh, on my Facebook. So, you know, I'll probably reshare it again 
hopefully I'll embed it in this particular podcast too, so that that way, if you're interested, you can see it. Anyway, anyway, um, really enjoyed it, and I hope you do too. I'd love to hear your feedback about it. So, um, oh, and let me know because I know my husband really wants to hear the feedback too, what you thought. Uh, he found it very difficult and, and, well, I guess challenging is the better word. Uh, loves doing the, producing the podcast, but, you know, it's a different medium. So anyway, anyway, uh, let's move on. So I got a, a private message from a well-meaning artist friend who, again, is trying to do Indigenous inclusion, but is really missing the mark. And so basically, she had a really elaborate, wonderful um, theme for a friend that was visiting out of town, and she wanted to give her an official white hat. And for anyone who knows what the official white hat in Calgary is, it's um, a white Stetson that, so I mean, we're talking what, a $400 hat that um, you definitely want to take care of because you've spent the money for and um, in tourism Calgary will white hat you with an official white hat ceremony as a as a thank you for coming. But I mean, these are not cheap hats, right? So it's kind of a big deal to get white hatted. Um, and most like regular folk like me will never get a white hat, let alone uh, most regular folk anywhere, actually. So anyway, my artist friend decided that they were going to uh, put together this uh, white hat ceremony for them, either officially or unofficially. They did reach out to Tourism Calgary. And uh, so anyway, you know, like two days before <laughs> her friend is supposed to come. So that says to me already, either I'm a last minute inclusion or whoever you originally planned jammed out, one or the other. And that hurts, right? We literally have not talked for like over four years so she reads, reaches out to tell me this over-elaborate scheme that she has for her friend that's coming from out of town. And, and this was my role, that the whole thing only works if I have somebody who meets us and says that we're located on Blackfoot territory, which, and, and which treaty? And then gives her an alphabetical order, letter and a gift. And some people are making their letter, and I'm making the letters for others. I also have Sage that could be her gift. Um, you know, would you like to do this on Friday or Saturday? <laughs> it's powwow weekend. Um, there's a million things going on in my world. We were picking sage, you know, so I just sent uh, my friend um, a, a screenshot and, uh, oh, and, and then go on to say, and I meant to say that our First Nation people, and I'm pretty sure all of you in my world know that our First Nation people is not going to fly with Michelle Robinson. Um, I meant to say that our First Nation people must be represented in some way in a Western theme. You know how problematic that one sentence alone is, right? Um, indigenous are, you know, indigenous to this land. We don't do Western themes unless it's, you know, literally the indigenous that, you know, who weren't allowed to do anything um, anymore that they used to used to do and were forced on res reserves were then, you know, able to become uh, cowboys and, and do the whole ranching thing, farming thing, after the RCMP had already, you know, forced us into these small little reserves. Um, anyway, unlike uh, stranger meetings, we actually get to visit, have some coffee. And you could tell us one of your favorite First Nation stories so that this person can take it back to um, Ontario. So, you know... This has really been bothering me and really hurts because, you know, it just highlights the tokenism of who we are, our culture, and that the assumption we have to fit in their world, the assumption we're just going to give, you know, all of our, our stories for free to somebody who obviously has no intention of ever learning about Indigenous issues, um, you know, I, I was just so hurt and insulted by this. It's been bothering me all week, but I, I just don't always have the time to sit down and talk about it. And that's where that racial battle fatigue is, because for me to sit down and explain all of this in a, in a few texts, it's impossible. And it would only hurt her or hurt their feelings. I, I should say their feelings. And, and they won't care at the end of the day. They just won't because clearly they already don't care about what it is that you know, I do what it is that I'm talking about, what, like, n people have no idea. When I run for politics, um, 
Oh, some of the things I've heard is that, well, you know, she just wants to be a politician. <laughs> That's the furthest thing from the bloody truth ever. The last thing I want to do is be a politician. The last thing I want to do is be political. But I'm forced to because I live under the Indian Act. I'm a ward of the state. And until there's equity in this country, somebody somewhere has to sometimes put their name up just so that we can have a platform to talk about why it is people who think they're progressive know absolutely nothing about Indigenous people. And this um, particular message from me, like back and forth, this is just such a great example where, you know, it is so clear that even people who claim to be my friend, who think that we're friends, no idea what it is I do, what I care about, and their role in, you know, being my friend and in, in, in this world. But, you know, this is our reality as Indigenous people. This is the constant, um, you know, misunderstandings that we have to, you know, be thrown at every single day. And nobody cares. Nobody cares that this is our experience. And it sucks because I get to sit with that. And I get to know one day this type of crappy request is going to be asked of my own daughter. <laughs> so you get kind of like you know mon dance monkey dance kind of requests on a regular basis and yeah I just I gotta live with I gotta live with these folks like they're my neighbors um colleagues and it it just sucks because you just know that you live in a completely different alternative reality even though this is the reality like this this is what has has happened here in Canada but because there's such a you know willful denial, a willful lack of wanting to learn about Indigenous people. This is where we're at. And it hurts. And I wish people understood that shitty requests like this hurt Indigenous people. And I've, I've heard so many times from non-Indigenous, well, I tried to contact somebody, but, you know, they never got back to me. And, you know, they reached out to them once, um, probably in a medium they never contact, or they had a ridiculous request like this. You know, I at least re replied and gave them my schedule, which of course is completely full. And, um, oh, wow. Yes. I figured you must be busy. I thought you could use some chuckles. So I thought I'd try you maybe another time. And, you know, nice. I hope you're having a great summer. Your daughter is so beautiful. It's great watching her grow up with your photos. Wow. You know, very nice things to say. And these are my neighbors and, uh, you know, this person particularly, I, I love them. You know, um, they do really great work, but, I wish there was a way for Indigenous to communicate to non-Indigenous that even though you think you're my friend and even though I love you, you know, you still hurt me. And, and these types of things hurt us. And I wish that there were other ways. Like, had she contacted me a month ago, I probably would have, you know, done something like, yeah, let's totally do this. Let's have some coffee. Let's talk about our First Nation people, um, you know, and, and tried to test those waters to see where they're at with their belief system. But Canada doesn't really facilitate that. And what Indigenous have to do is just put up with hurtful, crappy things. I mean, sometimes they're funny. And I'll give you an example of something that was funny. <laughs> so I get an email or a, a private message through my um, Facebook through Native Calgarian. And uh, it was somebody who was certain I was Grace and said, you know, I'm so-and-so, and I met you here, and I've been wanting to contact you, and I wrote down your number, and I've tried it a few times. What is the correct number? And I, I laugh because I know exactly who this person is talking about, right? But I replied, I think you have the wrong person. Um, this podcast, Native Calgarian, is by Michelle Robinson. All the best. So I sent uh, my friend Grace this message because I thought it was so funny. And, um, you know, she laughed at it as well so that made me happy but you know like I, I said to her you know I've been mistaken as Chantel uh Cheryl uh, Jesse Loa but now you you're on that list and she had a good laugh at that too so anyway I uh you know so it's kind of funny it's not funny I mean how many natives are there in in Calgary that obviously non-indigenous are like oh I know that person <laughs> And they don't know that person. And then there's 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 more than one of us, right? And uh, so I kind of got a kick out of that because I was like, yep, 
yeah, you know, that one, one native, you know. So anyway, I thought it was kind of funny, but I don't know if they would see the, the humor in that. I do. Something that I don't think is funny, one tiny bit, is, um, and then for those who may actually listen to my show, know that I've, I've been having health issues and my heart issues really happened at the uh, supervised consumption site meeting that we had, um, really affected my health. Anyway, you know, a long standing belief system of harm reduction because, um, you know, to me, this colonial capitalist world that's been imposed here, it's not meant for everybody. <laughs> they willfully want folks who are marginalized to die. So there's a binary, right? You're either a straight female or a straight male, and anything in between is is not going to work. And, and there's the different classes. Like, if you're not a white Christian, then you're going to fall through the cracks. And, of course, the irony being white Christians truly believe they're oppressed here in Canada. So anyway, anyway, um, that obviously leads me to the work I do. And, you know, I know as an Indigenous woman and the demographics I fit within where I stand in anything of substance, that's for sure. And then substance use is its own conversation. And uh, anyway, I've been talking about these issues, about how if you really want to solve these issues, you're going to have to invest in mental health programs and in addiction programs. And, you know, so many folks, as you all know, are very committed to misunderstanding me. So, uh, and this was, was very clear to me in the last 24 hours. So, I got a new follower, and the new follower is Forslon Styles, and they have um, one of those poop icons as as their their message, and um, you know I, I'm pretty sure I know who this is, but I'll just read you the the tweet. Feeling sad and lonely? We can help you catch an STD in this bus. It's a little sketchy, we know, but life is a box of chocolates, and they give the address, the back alley access. And they have all the YYC hashtags for salon, prostitution, and YYC crime. And um, so I, I read this. I'm like, holy hell. And they, sure enough, they took a picture of the bus. And they posted it in the back. And uh, I said, you know, this is not just stigmatizing our area, but it contributes to the dehumanization of sex workers not already served by this, popu by this society. Working with Shift Calgary and HIV Community Link will help uh, you attain common goals together, which means, you know, treating people like people and get, doing work together so that we can eliminate the issues here. But nope, we have to not do that. So this was the messages I got. So you're justifying its existence. Are you saying it's okay to have a drug, theft, and prostitution ring operating amongst homes with children? Children, people, the children! What about the daycare that operates a few houses away? <laughs> so, you know, I'm not saying that at all. Rather than being committed to misunderstanding me, why not meet up and talk? I feel you are misunderstanding us. Talking will do nothing in this situation. There's only one clear action. Get rid of the dangerous criminal operation. My senior parents live on that street. Small children live across and next to them. All are fearful and intimidated. Obviously, one ear out the other. So I said, so can we meet? Thank you for the offer, but the time for talk is over. Time for action. <laughs> so I let them know I did a drive-by. And uh, so my husband and I, we, I, I actually made him read the tweets and he laughed historic, hysterically because like they're, they're so ridiculous, the type of things that they're saying, um, you know, at one point in time. Uh, attain common goals together. Michelle, these are criminals. They are shipping in women. They are selling stolen items from the community. They are injecting meth. We have spotters. They have spotters watching for police. This is organized crime and human trafficking. So, of course, that that one particular was like, okay. So, this is where all the prostitutes are having all the meth. Okay. So, <laughs> this is why... I was like, fine. So my husband and I, we drove by it twice. I, you know, did a circle around and, um, you know, honestly, uh, uh, I, I, I don't understand people's fears. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I grew up in Sylvan Lake, a really white community with white people. And we, 
you know, drinking and, and drugs was quite normal. Fort McMurray, um, you know, like I grew up in Alberta and in, in Alberta, you're supposed to be, you know, rough and tumble and tough and tough and tough and tough. And everybody, like, it's just socially acceptable. In fact, it's not socially acceptable for you to be sober. And, um, like, for myself, my husband, I know we've missed many opportunities in, in downtown Calgary by not being, like, drunks and all the rest of it. And, you know, it's so funny to me that people don't understand the culture here. Because uh, the UCP, there was there's this new guy, and he's basically their, their person that that does all of the social media and that and somebody right away posted a picture of him and he's drunk and he has his like shirt open and his guts hanging out and I'm just like oh my god his name's Mike of course and I I, I was so embarrassed just looking at this picture because I know every single um Albertan has had that moment ridiculously like many times over because it's just socially acceptable for everybody to be drunk and high and, and all these things here. And and there's nothing worse than when you're part partying in the backyard somewhere and someone calls the cops. Like, that's just standard. And, that, and this is, I'm not even talking Indigenous community. I'm just talking, this is Alberta. This is the way Alberta operates. This is the way, like, if you want to do well in the business community, you better be drinking wine. You better know your wine list, you know, because there, there's the... There's the men's crowd that does all of the, like, disgusting beer drinking. And then there's the women's, like, the wives crowd. The, the oil men's wives who know their wine. And the nonprofit women who know their wine. Um, you know, the, like, you have that dynamic. So, to say, if like, I don't even have a problem with drinking alcohol. I just don't like the way it makes me feel. And I don't like the stupid decisions I make when I, I, I do have alcohol. So, I don't really care. Anyway, 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 why I'm bringing all of this up is, you know, I have a strong suspicion. I know who is behind this. And, you know, again, it's that cowardly, I'm not willing to really out who I am type person, which doesn't surprise me because you can hear by the way they talk, you know, strong conservative values that, you know, believes that you're either a criminal or you're not. There's no black, like, there's no gray area in this world, right? Anyway, I always believed I was a libertarian for a long time because I grew up in this environment that if you were calling the cops and you're a snitch and like if nobody's hurting anybody, then who the hell are you to do that? But obviously, when the Wild Rose became a thing, that completely changed my dynamics. And, you know, the more I learned, the more I read, you know, Calgary Library, thank you. Uh, Sylvan Lake Library, thank you. Um, Google, thank you. Obviously, the more I learned about life, I, I didn't think the way I I used to and I, people have legitimate addiction issues and you know I come from the small town where you know I know one of the girls that I grew up with her her dad went to jail for being a pedophile and hurt all the girls in our in our circle that was a this is a totally non-indigenous issue this is just the way it was um, and our one of our main doctors now excuse me is uh, going to I guess he's getting investigated. So anyway, the Alberta physicians stripped his license and all of this. And, you know, I, I've actually said to people who have the audacity to defend this guy, don't you think it's kind of weird that all of my white, like, you know, Sylvan Lake friends have had addiction issues, gone to jail? Like, that doesn't, there's no correlation there, hey? Um, and, and it just, like, so so many people are so daft about how trauma causes addictions and mental health issues. And of course, because, you know, we all come from this Ralph Klein era where, again, it was perfectly acceptable to be like stone cold, drunk, stumbling, perch, your shirt hanging out and making political deals like that was totally normal. Um, you know, they don't understand what I'm talking about at a, at when it comes to this trauma stuff. Like it's more like, you know, you take that trauma, you make it a ball and you stuff it down and then you have a, you know, whiskey chaser. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is the Alberta I know I love and, and have grown up in so for this for this bus to have the audacity to have you know folks coming in and out of there and you know doing their drugs and us not seeing the bigger picture here like yeah I'm sure there is criminal activity happening there no doubt that's been a huge part of Alberta and depending on what color of skin you are depends on whether or not you get away from it 
And, the, you know, it's the irony, because I think I know who's behind this. And that person, like, he would never want to admit it. But he's a new immigrant, has an accent and everything. And whether, like, this is a real funny thing for folks who are not from Calgary, who are from not Alberta. The most hysterical thing. And I've seen it in both elections that I've run in, because we, there were people of color and new immigrants. They They don't understand that they are literally being discriminated against. And they don't even know it. <laughs> They're like, that doesn't happen here. I'm like, oh, yeah. So it's just coincidental that the cops won't, like, listen to you. But, you know, if that white guy over there says the exact same thing, something gets done. Yeah, no, it's just such a coincidence. I, I have no idea why you and your brown skin and your accent and, and his white skin have different results like I just hmm, can't put that together one tiny bit same thing with some of the candidates that ran like you know oh no no racism not a thing I'm like shut up you just want to get elected so of course you're going to say that I don't I have I know nobody's going to vote for an indigenous woman I know that the demographics I'll prove it so you know I have no problem saying hey there's racism and it's structural and you know Show evidence to prove it and have people still be miscon like, you know, committed to misunderstanding what I'm saying. So anyway, anyway, um, I'm just getting a kick out of this whole, you know, this is my attempt to try to clean up this bus on somebody's private property. You know, we're totally going to go in there with cops and everything. I mean, I drove by there twice. I didn't see. I'm Well, actually, we, we seen down the street. Some black guy, he was walking in his dockers and his, and his, you know, um, I don't know, um, his, uh, white collared shirt, just going to work. Cause that's my neighborhood. And, and I think that's what it is. It's like, you know, people see black people and they automatically associate crime because of that anti black, uh, bias that they have. And they're totally unaware of it. And I, I think that's just, well, I know that's why our area gets stigmatized so bad. So anyway, I'm going to just keep going by and driving by and seeing what's going on down there. Because I know they don't want to talk to me. <laughs> God forbid. You know, as they said, the time for talk is over. But I know, and you all listening know, this isn't going to get solved. It's not going to get solved unless you start talking to each other. So anyway, anyway, I'll just keep doing the work I do. And uh, something I was super, super excited about was... Um, and and this is why I I know that the real answers are are in a different direction. Like I started being, uh, I guess, a cannabis activist, like forever ago. And the reason why is because I know cannabis was. I I know it might be hard to believe because legalization is a new thing here in Canada, and because it's normalized now, nobody seems to remember what it was like a year ago. But for I don't know, decades now, up until last year. Well, no, even including last year. We'll get there. Cops are just like banging down people's doors. You know, $5,000 to replace a door and a door frame and repair the damage. Then they take $10,000 worth of hydroponic um, equipment and all the medicines that people need in order to survive. And that's just a small, like, in-your-house grow-up for... Folks who are on age or on some kind of disability who need that in order to, because pharmaceutical drugs don't work for everyone. I've said that forever. And then the more I learned about opioids and the more I learned about um, hard addictions like that, like there's such strong evidence to show that you can actually use cannabis as a, as a gateway out of addiction when it comes to opioids. So needless to say, I've been a strong advocate for legalization because I believe that you know, those profits could easily fund mental health and addiction um, programs and services and actually help people with their trauma. And, you know, I've been taking the Mending Broken Hearts facilitating course in the hopes that we can start getting that out there and help people deal with their trauma. Um, you know, it, it's, a, it's a constant work. It's constant work. When you've had trauma in your life, it's constant work. And for folks who are not dealing, doing that work because they're in survival mode, they will never be able to do that work. And we, of course, as a society, rather than facilitating a healthy, you know, society, we're like, fuck, let's have another drink, have a beer, push that shit down. Here's a chaser. That's, that's Alberta, I know. So we need a, a huge shift. 
in our in the way we deal with with these issues. And I uh, I'm I want to be a part of that because I believe that with all of my heart we're not going to get anywhere until uh, we start doing that work. So funny enough, um, with some of the contacts that I've made over the course of the few years, because when we I've been putting um, legalization policies through this uh, riding along with all of the board members. And of course, when we won the election, we were actually able to legalize. This was fabulous. Of course, the problem is, and will always will be, that lots of folks, you know, will still be left out of the the economy and this new uh, capitalist economy of cannabis. So I, even my husband and I looked into it. And I mean, unless you have half a million dollars to invest, and, and when I say invest, I mean, let's sit for like two years. You, you're never going to be able to open one of these shops. So anyway, anyway. Um, something I've been following about for years is the Calgary chapter for Canadian, or sorry, the Canadian Studies for Sensible Drug Policy, and now they're just going to open a Canadian or a Calgary chapter here. So I'm super excited about that. Uh, one of the people who is kind of spearheading this is a PhD candidate that's under uh, Matt Hill, and for those who know who Matt Hill is, he is the doctor that I do the referencing to on a regular basis when it comes to um, destigmatizing the effects of cannabis on youth and their brains because he's a neuro um, neuro brain guy and he has done the studies and analyzed the studies that were done that were used to perpetuate the myth that you know all teens are going to have schizophrenia if they have cannabis before the age of 20 so he's done the research to debunk all of that and coincidentally he's here here in Calgary and, uh, you know, I was just joking with my husband, like, I can't believe some of the great um, scientists and research uh, folks that we have here in Calgary on this, because you have that fellow. And uh, for those who do not know Degrassi Junior High, um, we have one of the leading doctors on, on this research as well here in Calgary, and she works here. Um, and she used to be on Degrassi Junior High. So she was kind of cool in two generations doing cool work. Um Anyway, so I'm really proud of the, you know, the fact that other folks are looking at the data, looking at, at this issue and going, you know, maybe we shouldn't have blown up a hospital that easily could have helped people with mental health issues. And yeah, that's, you, this is where I'm coming from. And I know a lot of people don't like it, but I, I would argue that they also haven't done any research about this. You can't write off people. You can't, and, and too many people do. They don't understand the issues and they don't understand the solutions. So I'm hoping to be a part of that in any way I can. Um, there is an indigenous circle doing their own thing on the opioid crisis. So I'm hoping that uh, that will manifest. I, I'm thinking, well, from what I've read in the notes so far, we have a meeting on Wednesday. There's uh, a conference idea coming up and a possible walk idea coming up. So when I know the details... Of course, I'll let everybody know because this matters. I um I don't want people dying of opioids. I don't want people dying of I don't want people unhappy. Period. And I think you can you know enjoy cannabis at night to help you go to sleep or to help you deal with the anxiety of life. Like there's I I have no problem with people using just like I would have no problem with people using insulin with their diabetes. To me. We need to be talking about mental health in a better way and stigmatizing people, of course, not just stigmatizing like sex workers, but, you know, the criminal activity. Well, I'll bet you there's like natives and black people and again, not understanding systemic poverty and systemic racism leads people to be in, you know, gangs and organized crime and things like that. And, you know, we've seen it with the Vietnamese boat people and then the gang activity that was happening here in Calgary. And it just sucks because it's it's so much easier to label people as criminals than it is to say, hey, we have poor public policy on inclusion, racism, immigration, and then uh, mental health, right? So much easier to stigmatize people. And then, of course, when somebody shoots, a cop shoots an indigenous woman, no one gives a shit because they didn't care about her to begin with. So, you know, for me, I obviously... I'm sick of this conversation, but I also found people don't understand what I'm saying. So I can, 
I don't know, try to put it together the best way I can. If you have questions about what I'm saying, please let me know. Uh, one of the reasons why I ran for provincial politics is that, and Robin Luff, our previous MLA, she knows all about this, is that our the age of our area is becoming uh, an age where our playgrounds no longer are deemed safe. So a lot of our playgrounds are coming out. And of course, because we're in a world of, oh my God, we got to be fiscally responsible. You, there's never any money for anything of importance and especially social programs. But the irony being, if you want a strong economy, you have to invest in social as well. So anyway, all of the playgrounds in our area need investment. And, and the NDP tried to put together a small little thing about, um, you know, grants for playgrounds, but you know, it was really Robin pushing that in the background. And if I should have her on the show so she can speak for herself. But my personal impression was they just didn't push it enough and they didn't understand the complexity of it. We're not alone. At the same time that they were doing building, you know, in the late 70s, early 80s or late 60s, like that was being done all around Alberta. So this is a problem, of course, that's provincial, regardless. Um, so for those who do not know, in Dover, they have a, they redid one of the or one of the schools to have um, uh, an Indigenous learning center. And when I say Indigenous, you think, oh, well, that's great. But it, it really wasn't because it's for babies to like eight-year-olds. And the support staff around, you know, the families and that for that age demographic. So it's a pretty small demographic. And like, this is the Calgary Board of Education's like big, whoa, whoa so reconciled check that box we're so happy right and <laughs> so what about the age demographic from like nine until you know you die what about what about that age demographic but you know we're reconciled i give great examples of that all the time right anyway that little school uh their playground equipment got pulled so they have no playground equipment so there's a an educationmatters.ca kind of go fund me for that. And I would really encourage folks to follow that story, what's going on, because, you know, they put forward this playground and then they, or the school, and then they pull the playground. <laughs> We're so reconciled. Wow. Hope everybody's following that. So anyway, 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 um, I, I did already get some feedback about the video that we put out. So that's why I hope that you do watch it because, uh, to me, I thought, um, I'm just glad that other people see how this is like, uh, I don't know, insane venture. I don't know what the right word is. I just, all I know is that to me, the Royal Alberta Museum so missed the mark. And right away, somebody said, well, I'll listen to this tomorrow. I was so disappointed with their residential school exhibit. So I was like, yeah, this was a re our resounding takeaway. I'm still upset about it. Same, um, you know, Robbie and I were pretty dumbfounded. Like you, uh, so many people would just skip it. Or they used words like orphanage. Uh, I'm pretty sure those kids had family that they were stolen from. And they never talked about how many kids were murdered. Um at the time I posted, I didn't watch the video, I have since then, but I can't stand listening to me, so I don't know if it made the video, but the way they displayed the clothes and the toys had me livid. They displayed it as if the kids ever had access to them after they were stolen. I could slap them. I, it was so insulting. And I have since watched it, and that part did make the video. So the other person agreed. I always tell people to watch We Are Children if they want the truth about residential schools and the atrocities. That part of Canadian history has always been so skipped over that white and other non-Indigenous people need a punch in the gut. That documentary delivers. Also, um, I could listen to you all day. I find your voice very calming. Thank you for that. That's so, so sweet, Kay. Um, but I laughed and I was like, aww. And I put a picture of Sigourney Weaver as Ripley. You know that like inf infamous scene where the alien, I think it's in Aliens 3, is like going to eat her, but stops and she's like ready to be eaten. And um, and then they realize later it's because she's pregnant. So that's why they didn't eat her. <laughs> that's how I feel about my voice. Anyway, um, it was really nice to get that feedback, Kay. Thank you for 
uh, telling me what you thought of that video because, uh, well, I, I guess you didn't technically watch the video yet. So let me know when you actually watch the video, what you thought of it and anybody else who had watched it. I'd love to hear your feedback as well. I know not even me, my husband would like to hear it the most. So, um, I also, I know, so I got to wrap up. I can't believe how quickly an hour goes by. Um, basically I wanted to say I've been reading a little more into the inquiry only because, um, Pride has asked me to help them with some of their talking points and, you know, it, it's just, it's hard to, to want to really get into the details of the inquiry, but I, I can't, I can't stress it enough. This is something that all Canadians need to read. Um, I know it's super hard for me because of my history and the intergenerational trauma, the trauma I witnessed as a child and uh, continue to witness today with violence against Indigenous women. I know it's way harder for me. So please, if I can start reading it, I really can encourage you to consider doing it too. Because there were some moments of that's, while it's gut-wrenching for me, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts about, you know, what you're reading on the, on the inquiry and go from there. So yeah, anyway, just wanted to quickly wrap up by saying I'm really proud of Calgary Pride and the work that they're trying to do when it comes to uh, inclusion of our two-spirit and how that falls into the National Inquiry's report. And um, I'm really excited for Pride. I hope that you all listening uh, will, you know, go out of your way to read those contributions about that and, and give me your thoughts. And and if they're positive, please give them to Calgary Pride too. Because um, I'm not going to lie, the misogyny in the gay men is just so overwhelmingly gross and patronizing. And um, because of it, I, online I'm seeing some of the most vitriol things like somebody saying well you know well if uh, my party can't march nobody else's can and it was just so gross and they even basically claimed that because I I ran for as a liberal that was why this happened and <laughs> like I have power like that anyway <laughs> I will say this though Janice Irwin um, and I are, are trying to start to build a bit of a relationship and um, that's been really that that makes me feel good but of course Janice is a woman so of course I expect her to be a little more open-minded than some of the other folks about it especially if they've never experienced misogyny and they they perpetuate it through their own bias on a regular basis which is exactly what's happening so of course they don't understand how missing and murdered indigenous women girls and two-spirit fit into pride because anyway I did a whole podcast on this I'm gonna shut up now <laughs> oh that said I guess we'll do um so for those who listen to me regularly, you know, I obviously say kind of the same opening and the same closing, but it, it's for a reason. I, I hope to educate folks, but I hope if you hear it enough that, you know, if, if you hear my voice and then, you know, you're living your life through the week and you start to see things maybe from a different light that you've never seen before. So maybe you do see that bias against, um, you know, new immigrants, that bias, anti-blackness. Maybe you're seeing more of that misogyny within the gay community. Maybe you're seeing things in a different light. So that's why I say these things, because, um, you know, I want to arm you. I, I believe you can't just bitch and complain about life. You need solutions. So that's why I say the things that I say here at the end, and I, I hope that they resonate with you. So <clears throat> Indigenous have been talking about our issues, the our shared traumas and reports, commissions, public hearings, just so that it can be regularly disregarded. No more. Honor our words. Honor the treaties. Listen to politicians and their platforms and policies. If they don't recognize the marginalized in their budget with Gender Equity Plus, if they are cutting violence prevention programs and services, education, uh, Indigenous education, uterus health choices, gay-straight alliances, Know that your vote to those parties directly negatively impact marginalized people. Demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission 94 Calls to Action, the recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples, the multiple reports on child welfare reform, violence prevention, and now the 231 calls to justice from the National Inquiry on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls. Denying those reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting. Our people are experiencing extreme racism in the educational, justice, health, 
institutions with multiple reports that say the same things. Demand change from election platforms and politicians. Oh yeah, I want to share a really quick little story. So um, I've been obviously pretty critical of uh, police. Um, and, and I post on, you know, CBC links or CTV, wherever. Anyway, some uh, paramedic thought he would be like mansplaining to me. Oh, you know, the cops have a really hard job. So you, of course you only hear about the bad part. And I'm like, you know what? Um, I actually hear about the bad parts about cops and have to deal with the trauma that comes out as a result of those bad interactions. And by the way, did you know that there are some health calls to just or calls to action that need to be implemented as well? Never came back at me. Funny enough. <laughs> um, where blah, blah, Where was I going to say? Demand change from election platforms and politicians. If they don't understand colonialism, racism, privilege, and sexism. They literally have zero business running. This should be understood by all parties, all local politicians, community organizations, clubs, sports organizations, etc. Violence is my everyday reality. Oh, I should probably tell a, another quick story. Yesterday, we were picking sage, and I watched um, an uh, indigenous elder who's just recently lost her husband trying to lead this wonderful program of Indigenous youth that I'm lucky to be a part of because of my family. And we were picking sage, and I watched an older Indigenous man totally kick us off their property. Did he really have the right to do that? No. But we're not going to, as, like, it was just women and children. We're not going to fight that fight. But this is the type of violence we, we receive every day, right? We're not going to fight those things. Every Indigenous generation has faced it. That's why I started this podcast, to speak freely without interruption, without tone police. Oh yeah, I've been getting a lot of tone policing. I've been sharing that online if you haven't seen it. Um, anyway, with I'm, it's not getting retweeted, so I know you're not seeing it. But basically, the whole Banff thing that I talked about last podcast... Yeah, people don't like me uh, pointing out Canadian racism and are definitely trying to tone police. Um, leadership shaming. Oh, I had a really great time at the Siksika powwow and, uh, really grateful for the yellow old woman family who's been so loving to me. Um, I don't know. I can't say enough good things and watching Ruth Scalplock's, uh, renaming ceremony was an incredible gift. So, you know, I'm lucky I'm not getting that leadership's shaming. In fact, the opposite. I, I was getting lots of love and encouragement. So Siksika Powell, thinking about you, I wish I could be there. Um, typical microaggressions, people dealing with internalized racism, who are gatekeepers, who survive off the status quo, or people who are still in their trauma and stop other people from doing the good work and depleting the personal resources, just like our elder that was kicked off that property with all these women and children. Um, internal and external racism is an everyday reality for Indigenous people. That's why I needed this podcast to be heard. As it turned out, it's very healing as well. I hope my daughter and my family will be proud in the future of me trying to discuss these issues in a way that they'll understand down the road. I want to continue putting cultural safety into action so that uh, we create a safer space for marginalized people Indigenous, people of color, those with disabilities, LGBTQ2+. Look at it as first aid for marginalized folks. Do something. Having good intentions is not enough. Take actions to make change. Speak out against racism. Ask questions of those with more understanding. Find allies and create a support, a support system for yourself that can help you advocate for culturally safe approaches. Take responsibility for your own learning. Read, reflect, ask questions. Do not expect all learnings to come from Indigenous people. Take time for self-reflection. Be aware of your own assumptions and biases. Re question everything you've learned about Indigenous people, Black people, uh, immigrants. Take steps to actively disrupt those stereotypes. Commit to lifelong learning. Be prepared to be uncomfortable. Understanding colonialism and the legacy of racism is an ongoing and difficult task. I want to say thank you to heretohelp.bc.ca, um, Indigenous people and what cultural safety is and why, should, why I should care about it for that link. Uh, internalized racism or lateral violence is another form of violence Indigenous and marginalized folks experience by the structure of racism imposed on these lands, such through the Indian Act, Indian Residential School, 
other land clearing policies, and then for other marginalized folks, you know, Chinese head tax and lots of uh, awful immigration um, acts that are still in existence that should never be in existence. The fact is that uh, uh, I could rant all day. We better move on. <laughs> RacialEquityTools.org has lots of um, information on internalized racism. Uh, a lot of people call that lateral violence. And um, there are do's and don'ts for bystander interventions by the American Friends of S Service Committee. They have a whole website on things like that, about making your presence known, about taking cues from the individual being harassed, how to keep safe, the don'ts, don't call the police, <laughs> don't escalate the situation, don't do nothing, uh, silence is dangerous. You know, that's the whole thing about being Albertan. You know, I know that de-escalating a situation can help, but it's so hard because in this society, I know um, I'm just lippy because I, I was raised to be that way. Anyway, if you're experiencing emotional distress and want to talk, um, call the First Nation Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It's toll-free. It's open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I just want to stress again, you know, if you're not Indigenous, there's lots of distress centers in your area, but for the Indigenous people that, that listen, that care, you know, I just... I can't stress enough how proud I am of you and always dealing with your stuff. And I hope that number helps if you're feeling low for any moment in time. Um, I've, I felt that way long, long ago. I mean, I even called the kids helpline when I was young, when I was in my teens. So, you know, I know it can help other people too. Um, just sometimes you just need tools. It's not about racism. Sometimes it's just about, talking off that um, anxiety ledge of, you know, feeling overwhelmed. And I just really encourage folks to reach out if they just can't deal with this all the time. Um, thank you to my husband, Darcy. Uh, my husband, oh, I forgot my ancestors. Let's go back. Thank you to my ancestors, my granny, my mom, of what strength looks like through your example. I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt. My stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through her Austrian roots and stepping up to teach me to be a proud Calgarian. It's through her I'm a second generation proud Calgarian. Uh, to my husband for producing, editing the show, on top of being my husband, my childhood friend, father of our child, and support down my journey of the Red Road. He's witnessed decades of sexism and racism. To our child, who we are blessed to learn from daily, we are really honored you chose us. You give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person. My Patreon account um, is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. So I want to say thank you to Alexandria, Ashley, Beatrice, Celine, Diana, Heather, Jocelyn, Joni, Judy, Kenna, Kimberly, Leah, Matt, Nancy, Nathan, Natalie, Phyllis, Sharon, The Sprawl, Tiffany, Vanessa, and Veronica. Thank you all for signing up. And if you did one donation or many and had to quit for financial reasons, please know I appreciate your support. If you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. For those that cannot afford to give but listen in, I would love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments and questions. We are also on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. So with that, I just want to leave you with, I give side eye to all those Calgary rabbits and tell them, you're lucky I'm not tradish. And my beautiful cousin responded, or you would be in my dish. <laughs> Thanks for listening.